Hello friends, this week's guest is Cara Lissette. Cara is a mental health blogger and an eating disorder campaigner who has written extensively about her personal experience with anorexia. Anorexia is has the highest mortality rate of any mental disorder. And unfortunately, rates of anorexia and eating disorders across the board have increased during this year or so of lockdown. It was really great to hear Kara's story and shed light on an area seven myself don't know too much about. Um, thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Kara. Kara, welcome to the Earthy Delights podcast. What's the crack? Um, not much really. Really looking forward to some of our restrictions being lifted in the next couple of weeks. I can start seeing my friends again. Um, sure. Going back into my office a little bit more. So yeah, I'm feeling like pretty good about that. I think. How have you been with the whole um, the COVID situation? Has it, have you, has it taken its toll on you or do you think you've kind of dealt with it fairly well? Um, I think lockdown one was really difficult and then two was a bit better and then three was really difficult because it just felt like it was just going on forever and ever and ever. Um, but I feel I don't like cautiously optimistic, I suppose, about some of the changes that are coming in now. Yeah, I think that's the best way, especially with um, our government. <laughs> Cautious <laughs> optimism is probably the best way because I feel like full-on optimism is a bit foolhardy with the way they've been going about things. But, I mean, hopefully Bozza, uh, <laughs> hopefully Bozza's plan all comes together and uh, we can all go out into the beer gardens and everything else. It's been a long long overdue. It's feel, I feel like it's been two years, but it's only been a year, just over a year, if I'm not It feels a long way, right? <laughs> Yeah, it feels a long, long time. But um, no, beautiful stuff. I, I, for people who aren't kind of aware of your blog um, and like your social media presence, could you just give us like a bit of a background about like what it is that you do and how like, kind of we kind of found you and, and why we've got you on the podcast? Yeah, so I started it um, about four years ago. Um, and it was mainly because I'd started blogging like anonymously for a couple of charity platforms and like other people's blogs because I didn't really want anyone to be able to trace anything back to me and I was like oh, I really don't want people in real life to find out I've got any problems with mental health um, and then I think it was when I joined Twitter and I found this big like community on there of people that were being really open about it and sort of sharing like their own experiences and I thought it was really inspiring and like really brave of those people to feel like they were kind of able to do that and then watching them just kind of gave me a bit of confidence to start kind of owning it myself I guess um so then when I started it I was just talking about things that had happened historically and I was still like quite detached from it and I just said oh I had this experience so many years ago or whatever um and then kind of as time went on and I got more confident and I guess the feedback I was getting was quite positive so I didn't feel like um I wasn't getting any sort of hate for it or anything or any trolling which sometimes can happen kind of in these sort of situations and all the sort of response I was getting was quite positive and then that gave me a bit more confidence to start talking about things kind of as they were happening um and then mostly I talk about my eating disorder and that's because when I had a relapse in 2019 I kind of documented it like as it was happening um so it's become it was sort of like a journal I guess over that time rather than just talking about things in more of like a detached way and then I've kind of just used it like that ever since really thanks Cara and for people who who uh, what I wanted to get out like straight away was people's understanding of anorexia or, e- or eating disorders I think if they don't have a direct experience with it is is often fragmented uh, or partial and I guess I wanted to ask for people listening could you really tell them what it is like a definition and maybe what are the misconceptions because often there's several misconceptions with eating disorders. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, So all eating disorders are, I guess, are kind of like part of the same problem, I suppose. Like a lot of them are sort of um, ways that people kind of cope with like emotional difficulties or trauma and things like that. Um, But anorexia specifically is for people who um, have sort of like a really um, strong fear of weight gain, um, usually have some sort of body dysmorphia and see themselves as like bigger than they are, um, usually involves like a, an episode of weight loss. Um, there is uh, atypical anorexia, which is for people who don't fit the um, underweight BMI category, but still have all the other symptoms. But for um, sort of like typical anorexia, they would be underweight and um be sort of like restricting their food intake and then doing sort of various other compensatory behaviors so it might be 
um, exercising a lot or purging or using laxatives and diet pills and things like that. Um, they're really dangerous. Like all eating disorders are really dangerous. Um, but anorexia has the highest mortality rate of all mental illnesses. So it's really serious. Wow. I, I, I didn't know that now. Um, you mentioned body dysmorphia. How, how do you kind of combat body dysmorphia? So I understand it as you having a kind of inaccurate con- uh, conception of how your body looks, uh, whether you think it's either bigger or smaller. How do you combat that? Do you have certain people in your life that you trust that can help? Or do you use some sort of measuring? Or I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, it's really difficult because like when you're generally for people that are quite unwell with anorexia, there's a lot of um, what you call body checking. And that's things like um, weighing yourself a lot and measuring yourself and doing things like trying on different clothes, different jewellery, things like that, like touching different parts of your body to see if they're that sort of the same size that you think they are, or if they're um, bigger than you think they are. Um, and that happens <clears throat> a lot. Um, and generally, the more unwell people get, the more you're doing it. So like I would be doing it sometimes pretty much constantly always just doing things like touching like different parts of my body to see if they still felt the same that they did five minutes ago or if my weight had changed in that time and things like that um and sometimes I'd weigh myself upwards of like 100 times in a day um so it was really really obsessional um and that makes it worse um because the more you focus on it obviously the more obsessive you are and then kind of the less grasp you've got on kind of what you look like um so when you're kind of recovering they try and really um sort of help you to manage not doing that as much and then I did something called mirror therapy uh, mirror exposure sorry in therapy which is where basically you have to look at yourself in a mirror in like tight clothes and then just describe your body in neutral language sort of like scan up your body and then back down again which is honestly like the most horrible thing I think I've ever had to do um but has probably made like a really big difference and my therapist did say to me um relapse rates are significantly reduced for people that can successfully do mirror exposure um but it was really really uncomfortable but I do think that's probably really helped actually because doing that just made me think oh actually my body's not really that different to anyone else's um and another thing about it was I had sort of two I started being really avoidant of what I looked like when I was gaining weight again um so I had these kind of two images in my head and one was what I looked like when I was really underweight and one was kind of what I thought I looked like in this like body dysmorphic lens of being sort of twice the size that I am and doing that mirror exposure kind of helped me to marry those things together and see that actually neither of them were right anymore and I kind of was just somewhere in the middle I I was reading um some of your your blog post Kyra and something that kind of I guess maybe should I should have kind of foreseen but I didn't but it came across in in your your blogs is kind of the the horrible nature of anorexia that is especially for girls um you know as kind of when it starts and you're losing weight it's almost like a positive thing it's almost like oh look I'm and actually you you know how people would say to you in society like oh you've lost a bit of weight like in a good way in a positive almost reinforce obviously they don't know what it is they just think maybe you've kind of got on a diet or you've started exercising more but they don't know that it's this compulsive behavior so they're almost reinforcing that with these you know compliments and that's something really kind of insidious about anorexia that I'd never really kind of considered because you just whenever I used to think of anorexia you would think of the worst cases you know the people who would just stick thin where it was so obvious that they were anorexic rather than someone who maybe was normal or maybe even overweight and then gradually got to that stage but in the meanwhile we're getting all these compliments about how their body was changing I mean, how how can you combat that, and how how much of an effect does that have? That kind of um, positive feedback that you're getting, even though you're in the midst of an illness. Really, it's really really difficult, actually. And I think I think like for me, I've always been on like the smaller side anyway, so it doesn't take very much for me to become underweight. But even comments where people are concerned still kind of feed into your eating disorder, even if they're not complimentary. Um, so even if people are saying, oh, you know, you don't look very well because you've lost weight or, you know, asking you about relapse and things like that, like even that kind of feeds into your eating disorder because you think, oh, well, I'm I'm obviously I look like I've lost weight and that's kind of what I'm out to achieve. Um, but I think for people that do start at higher weights, that it just completely reinforces everything that your brain is kind of telling you is like, actually, people will like me more if I lose weight and I'm more attractive and I'm more successful and people think better of me. And that just really 
I think like cements a lot of those anorexic thoughts that that you kind of have in the early stages, especially. Kara, can I ask about the the onset of your anorexia and to what extent do you think the environment played in it, whether that be a local friend group or a school group or just the the constant media projecting a certain image of how you're supposed to look? Um, so it started when I was like in my early teens, um, but I would say that I definitely had like body image issues from when I was probably around like seven or eight. Um, but I was in like a really sort of like diet centric household and it was talked about a lot in my household between my parents and things like that. And like Weight Watchers was just a really common theme from sort of as little as I can remember, really. So I think I kind of grew up thinking certain foods were not good and it was better to lose weight and being thin was better than being bigger. Um, Like really early on, that was kind of like cemented in my brain. And then I think when I got to secondary school, that's when you can really start like comparing yourself to other people a lot more um and that kind of made it worse and then I just think as I've got older like we didn't really have social media that much when I was like a young teenager but as I've got older it's obviously just become like more and more prevalent and that's just made it probably harder to recover sort of every time I've had a relapse is like another layer of society that you've kind of got to fight against um in terms of like social media and diet culture and and things like that kind of just seems to get worse and worse like every year and Cara you spoke about how I mean you spoke about how it's this started maybe when you were seven or eight years old I mean the 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 body uh, image called body consciousness um I mean that strikes me as being really young but when did you know that this wasn't just you know your typical girl trying to look good now that she's gone to secondary school trying to look good for the boys or whatever and this that and the other to actually now oh no this is a serious problem and this is anorexia because I can imagine that a lot of girls who might who I mean maybe maybe boys as well but especially girls I can imagine that them listening to this might feel like oh well I was like that and in my household there was all you know my mum was always dieting and doing this and that and so when did you realize that you kind of gone over that threshold and this wasn't just a normal thing of trying to diet and trying to keep trim as opposed to now actually this is a deep eating disorder I think it was probably like when other people noticed um and started commenting on it and then I think I didn't realize it was as much of a problem as other people did um and then I started I started seeing mental health services when I was about 13 um and that was when it was kind of flagged as I guess being like something that was diagnosable rather than just something that I was kind of just sort of pottering along doing by myself and did that come as a shock to you when you were diagnosed or was it kind of a thing of like you you knew that you were pulling the wall over people's eyes and then once that wall was no longer there then you're like oh I've kind of been busted like did you always know in the back of your mind or were you just like oh I just thought this was normal behavior kind of both actually because I think I kind of knew that like actually this isn't the you know what all my friends are doing and I was doing things in secret so I obviously knew that they weren't right um and I didn't want people to know about them but I think the thing about eating disorders is that that's so dangerous about them is you kind of never think that you're sick enough um no matter kind of at what point of illness you're at so I think every time even though I can see on paper I'm like I know I tick all these boxes it's not until someone says it that you're like oh actually maybe you know maybe there is something wrong and I am I am ill enough to justify this diagnosis because you just don't really believe it in yourself a lot of the time Mm. and I wanted to ask you something I mean we're both from England um and I mean we know that the diet and the way that we think about food just in general isn't the healthiest and you compare it to you know Mediterranean countries for example and another another you know Asian um Asian diets are a lot healthier in general. Um, do you think that that kind of had some, like there, that was that play, that force? Because it seems to me that like in England, we, we've, the lot, a lot of us are very much of the idea of like, oh, well, I'll eat out and we don't really cook in. So a lot of the food that we are eating is just terrible. So you either, it feels like we're swinging from one to the other, like we're this massive pendulum and we kind of purge ourselves on this terrible food. And then we realize that that was really bad. And then we go to these extreme diets to try and compensate for our awful gen- diets in general. And even like, you know, even when I think back to school meals and stuff, I mean, I know Jamie Oliver tried to do his best, but like a lot of it was just like, like you know i mean chip chips and chicken nuggets and this that and the other whereas 
I mean, I live in Madrid now and um, I've got family in Italy. And when you go to schools there, it's proper cooked food at the, at the dinners. And I think at the school dinners, and I think that makes a massive difference just because of the way that they think about food. Do you think that that had anything to play? Probably because I just think diet culture is like so pervasive in this country compared to like other, mm. obviously I think it's a problem in like a lot of Western countries, but I think yeah. here it's terrible because we see everything in, like you said, like complete extremes where food is either like good or bad and you either feel guilty or you feel like you've done the right thing, you know, like there's so much like moral value placed on it. And I think, yeah, it's really hard to get that balance in the middle because I think even for people like my diet is, like pretty good now because I've been following a meal plan for a really long time and I've had a lot of input from dietitians over the years and I have like a pretty good idea of what I you know what I sh- not what I should and shouldn't be eating because I can eat whatever I like but I guess what a balanced diet looks like um mm. but I think even for people that do eat you know really balanced diets because we're taught that you know eating chocolate is bad and you should feel guilty for it even though that's a perfectly normal part of a normal diet I think it still produces those feelings of like I'm doing the wrong thing by having this and that's not that shouldn't be normal I don't think yeah and, and I wondered as well I wanted to ask um this just kind of come off the top of my head but when I look at like eating habits um if I kind of try to draw a comparison between men's eating habits and women's being very general here it's almost like celebrated to in a weird kind of way when like a woman kind of picks at her food and you know the word that springs to mind is like dainty and this that and the other whereas on the other hand a man you know should be finishing his food his meat and two veg and be burly and this that and the other and you know he's got a good appetite type deal do you know what I mean but like I never hear that really said about a woman oh she's got a good appetite even it'd be put in a much different light and I wondered like do you think maybe even such a subconsciously that like when you're kind of picking at your food or eating less and this, that and the other and feeding into those female or male stereotypes that actually, again, that's almost like this positive reinforcement of like, Oh, look at Cara. She's, you know, she's dainty, isn't she? She doesn't, she's not like greedy and scoffing food down her face and this, that and the other. And then before you know it, you find yourself, you know, where you are. Yeah. Because you get so much positive feedback, you know, people are always just like, Oh, I wish I was as good as you. And I wish I had your willpower and all that Mm. sort of stuff. And like, it's not willpower. It's a really serious illness. Um, If anything, (laughs) it takes more willpower to recover than it does kind of to be unwell because you're kind of going against what you innately feel is kind of the right thing. Um, But yeah, I completely agree. And I think there is a thing about just culturally women not really being allowed to enjoy nice food but particularly if they're bigger. So like sometimes it's still celebrated if thin women are eating pizza and things like that. But for like women that are bigger, it's, you know, really like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that because you're greedy and that's why you look like you do and things like that. And there is like complete double standards. I think one between Mm. men and women, but one between also thin women and bigger women. Mm, for sure it, it springs to mind because there's there's someone in my family I'm not going to name just because they, they might not want me to name them but <laughs> when they were younger when they were younger they ate every I mean I'm talking like five years old and they'd be eating artichokes and all this type of jazz which you know <laughs> most young kids don't want to eat and it was always like a real good thing it was like, oh look at this you know look at this younger person like eating all of this um food and they've got a good appetite it's always said they've got a good appetite and then when that person went to school like secondary school that all of a sudden just it was like knocked on the head and they started becoming really picky and they would some foods they would have and sometimes they wouldn't they'd miss meals which would never ever happen in my household I mean coming from Italian background food is the foremost it's like the front and center of our household so to miss meals was just like a never ever happens and and like they haven't got I wouldn't say they're anorexic or anything like it but I noticed the shift in 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 um in behaviors from a young age, then moving into secondary schools. And I wondered like that pressure, I imagine, like you said before, if you're all of a sudden now you're with like a load more girls and now there's the whole thing of boyfriends and girlfriends, which at primary school doesn't really happen. Um, and I don't remember at my school, like a load of girls, especially before summers and stuff like during springtime, they would start to do like juice diets and all of these kind of, all of a sudden they'd be doing a five, two diet and this, that, and the other. And they were just healthy 14, 15 year old girls. There was no need for them to be doing these diets. Is that where it started for you? Like, did you start these diets as well? Have you gone through the whole gamma of diets or was it literally just a thing of 
kind of being very picky with food and, and missing meals and so on? I don't remember ever doing like a specific sort of named diet um but mm. it was very much sort of it was kind of gradual in that oh I'll just cut out this food group and then I'll just cut out this food group and then I'll just cut this food group gradually until all of a sudden the things that I kind of felt what that I had like permission to eat were the sort of pool of that was very very small um but I would say yeah it wasn't like a specific diet it was just kind of like oh carbs are bad dairy's bad or whatever and then gradually I'd kind of take away a food group at a time Mm. Carrot, can you talk to me about uh, recovery? You, you mentioned there was a relapse in 2019, but from your initial diagnosis, can you can you talk us through what were the cornerstones of your recovery and your your positive state now, your your healthy state now? I mean, are there like certain things that you just have to do every day, and or there, there's a therapist or there's a, a dietitian, or yeah, I'd love to know this. Um, so I had. I had day patient treatment for like six months, which is basically like in between hospital and outpatient. So you kind of just go to the clinic every day and you have your meals and then you come home at the end of the day. Um, So I did that, which was really helpful. And then just in terms of kind of getting a bit of normalcy back into kind of my routine and, you know, how much I should be eating really. And, And we did quite a lot of groups, like therapeutic groups, and it was just really good being around other people that kind of understood how much distress I guess we were kind of feeling every day and what was associated with that um and then once I kind of restored a bit of weight and was able to um sort of cognitively start doing therapy I started doing that in uh March in 2020 and all the way up until March 2021 um and my therapist was like literally amazing he was so so good and he made like a massive difference and then I would say since then it's just making sure yeah that I kind of do just like the normal things to look after myself like trying to make sure I get enough sleep and making sure that I eat at sort of regular intervals over the day and that I'm eating enough each of those times um I'm trying really hard to just kind of eat what I want to eat at the moment rather than thinking I can't eat that because it's 10 o'clock in the morning or I can't eat that because I've already had it today and things like that just trying to break like a lot of the sort of rules that I've got that are are a bit of a hangover from when I was like more unwell because some of them I could quite happily live the rest of my life having little rules like I can't eat breakfast before eight o'clock or you know I you know I have to eat so many different food groups for dinner and things like that but I just don't really want to have to live with any of those rules anymore because they've taken up so much of my life and so I'm kind of in the stage now where I'm trying to now that I've got rid of all the ones that are really really restrictive and kind of make me unwell I'm trying to sort of break down a lot of those smaller ones now and do you you mentioned it was so beneficial to be around people who really understood what you were going through do you have a kind of a steady community of people in your life now that you don't have the day the day center care or the day-to-day going do you have a, a steady, a consistent group of people that know what you're going through and you can reach out whenever you're feeling particularly low or you're a certain feeling? Can, can you reach out? Or Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think a big part of that is because I've been a lot more honest about it this time. Because um, if you don't tell people, they don't really know how to help you. But yeah, I would say like this time around, one, I think because I, I did get so unwell this time, I couldn't really hide it from anyone anyway so like everybody knew but also I was just like yeah a lot more open about like this is kind of what's going on for me at the moment and people were like so so supportive even more than they have been previously I think because I kind of let people in and let them know how they could support me um Mm. so yeah I've got like like amazing friends and like my boyfriend's amazing and my family and then I've also got like a group of friends who I've been in treatment with and they kind of know what it's like to have an eating disorder but it's also really nice to have friends that don't because sometimes I don't want to talk about that and I don't want that to be sort of like the center of my friendships um and the only thing that I have in common with people which sometimes is what happens when you meet people in treatment when you both kind of uh move on with your lives and you start to get well again you realize that that's kind of the only thing that is tying you together um so it's really nice having friends that also are completely separate from that Mm, for sure I I want to ask, we spoke at the very beginning about like how lockdown is hopefully starting to come to an end now in England and things are going to start to open up and slowly but surely pubs and restaurants and, and social lives will, will become, will come back. Um, 
is that some is that almost anxiety inducing to you in a way because i can imagine that one benefit and correct me if i'm wrong here but i can imagine that one benefit of like the lockdown has been that because there's been no social plans you everyone has been able to kind of focus on their own on themselves in whichever way that may be and in, in your case you know focusing on your diet and what you're eating and not having these kind of societal pressures of oh i've got to go out and meet you know rebecca and laura today and it's like oh i'm gonna go to the restaurant and what do i order and this that and the other i can imagine that like social gatherings and especially around like a, a pub or a meal time could be quite kind of um quite a scary thing especially when you're on your road to recovery yeah it's really difficult and i think one of the things that was quite challenging about lockdown is that i was starting to prior to that do things like go out for lunch and stuff that i just hadn't been able to do for years um and really kind of challenging myself and then when that happened it kind of gave me an excuse not to do that and I would say because it's something now that I've done so infrequently over the last year those sort of things are still hugely anxiety provoking and I think maybe they would be much less so if I'd been able to expose myself to them right. more often um so yeah that does that's probably one thing that does worry me probably the most about lockdown lifting um and also, I mean, there's not that many people that I haven't seen at all since it happened. But for people, like there might be some friends that I haven't seen for, you know, a really long time that live a bit further away, for example, or like some family that I've not seen since before lockdown. Um, I like physically look really different now to how I did before that happened, because I have gone through this like weight restoration process. And there's there is some anxiety that comes with, like, oh, what are people going to say? when they see me and it's usually nice things like oh you look well and things like that but that's literally like a slap in the face when you've got an eating disorder and people don't realize that um so they think that they're saying things that are nice and they're actually really difficult to manage hmm. I, I want just sorry and this is too much then we can you know feel free just to tell me and we'll cut this out of the conversation but I wanted to ask just for people who don't understand I mean me myself I've I tried to empathize as much as I can but the mentality behind like being kind of scared to go for a meal and like you know to have that menu and to choose from it like what is it that's what is it that brings the fear and what is it that brings that anxiety like is it the that you have to eat something and then you're gonna automatically like can you just try to describe the mentality to me so that people can who maybe aren't suffering or and have maybe friends who are suffering or, or whatever can kind of empathize more and really understand how it must feel for someone who's anorexic to be in these situations and what kind of eating to them means because to the majority of us it's just a daily thing we don't think anything of it it's just like breathing like anything else so to to hear someone say that it's so anxiety inducing it really it kind of feels very foreign so i was wondering if you could just kind of really kind of break down that mentality and like give examples of what it is that would make you scared or or, or anxious yeah a lot of it's like the unknown i think of just like I don't really let other people cook for me still either at the moment. I'm still quite controlling in terms of like preparing my own food and cooking in my house and things like that. Um, right. So a lot of it is just, yeah, like a lack of control of just not knowing, like I don't know how many calories is in that. I don't know if they've used oil to cook with it. I don't know, you know, how much cream is in it or whatever. Just, you know, all these things that that generally people with eating disorders are quite fearful of these sort of like high calorie high fat type foods um it's not the same for everybody but obviously that's like quite a common feature for people it's just the unknown of like I don't know what's in that um so I don't know what impact it's going to have and now that I've been sort of eating a lot more regularly and challenging myself to eat things that feel quite scary to me and I see that nothing really disastrous has happened I'm able to kind of challenge those thoughts a bit more. But when it's quite early on, you do genuinely think like, I'm literally going to just like double in size if I eat this. And that, that feels like literally the worst case scenario that could happen. Um, and it takes a lot of kind of retraining your brain and just kind of testing that theory out really to prove to yourself that that's not going to happen. Mm. and just quickly i know jim's got a question here but just quickly i wanted to ask as well because jim and i often speak i mean jim spent a lot of time in italy and he's traveled a lot as well so he's seen different cultures and something that we share a massive interest in is just experiencing different cultures and kind of comparing and contrasting and one thing that i think and i think ireland suffers with this problem as well but is the drinking culture um and a lot of us 
we drink to excess the idea of just going for one pint is is a misnomer it just that would never ever happen um and i think a lot of us actually i mean if you asked them in, if you sat them down they would say yes i know that drink has calories but in the moment a lot of us feel like we can easily they don't feel so bad for having 10 pints as opposed to going to kfc for example whereas i don't know the, exact, the amount of calories that are in 10 pints but i'm it would be kind of equivalent to that KFC, if not more, I'd imagine. And so with the pubs opening back up and stuff, is that something else that you've got to, you've got to kind of um, overcome or is it simply a food thing? Um, it was more food for me, but uh, well, it, it's a bit like eating stuff are really nonsensical. So I also didn't really like liquid calories in terms of like um, milk, for example, and things like that and like smoothies and juice and things. But like alcohol just never really was like that much of a problem. Um, and like towards the end of sort of 2019 and when I, like just before I went back into treatment, I was drinking quite frequently because I just couldn't sleep and I was so anxious all the time. There was kind of like, not to the point where it was a problem, but just kind of the only way that I could help myself like settle because my anxiety was so high. Um, and my sleep was so restless that sometimes I'd be like, that's the only thing I can do to kind of help me like settle at night. And um, so that was never really like too much of a problem for me. The only thing that worries me about doing it socially is I worry about um, sort of, obviously you, you have sort of less control, don't you, when you've been drinking a lot. And I worry that, you know, oh, I might eat something without thinking and then have to have like the consequences of whatever happens as a result of that. And again, like I've kind of trained my brain enough now to know that the consequences aren't, aren't going to be, that drastic um but that fear is still there i guess that i might do something that is gonna mm. sort of make me feel bad i guess carrie you mentioned before how i think you said you look well is a, a very dangerous thing to say to someone with an eating disorder and i guess that one of the objectives of this podcast is to kind of branch awareness for people who might not know too much about it who are trying to learn about it um, who have someone in their family or in their friend group who, who they think has it or do have it? What what would you say? Could you provide us with um, a, a a gentler or more considerate approach to this? Like you know, because a lot of people who say you look well, they have really good intentions. They think, oh, I look, I think you look healthy. I think you. But as you said, it can, it can it can be very uh, anxiety provoking, as you said. Uh, for someone with anorexia or with an eating disorder so can you tell us uh, or can you give us examples of when someone has said something and you really appreciate it you know you really like oh this is considerate of where I'm at yeah like I did kind of say to people like when I when I went off sick um in 2019 I did say to people kind of jokingly but not also a joke just saying like if anyone tells me I look well when I come back I'm handing my notice in because I'm just not gonna like tolerate that <laughs> um, um like it was a joke but also it was me saying like please don't do that because it's going to be horrible um because it just like in your brain even though I know it means well it just automatically translates to like you've gained weight you look fat or whatever and like I know deep down that's not what people mean um but that's kind of how your like your eating disorder interprets it but when I started seeing friends again they would just said things like oh you seem happier and like you know oh your hair looks really thick or whatever because my hair was like growing again and just like um you know you seem like you're kind of becoming your old self again and it's really nice to see how chatty you are and just things like that that were just kind of like nothing to do with kind of what I look like I guess and more to do with like how I am as a person I get you I get you more an indication of your expression, your energy, rather than how you physically look. One thing I picked up on as well before, we mentioned how you were writing articles and blogs anonymously, and then you you kind of reached a point where you wanted to be more uh, expressive about it, more honest about it. Um, am I right in saying that this was a, a key aspect of your recovery, the, the, the kind of honesty and meeting yourself where you're, where you're at? And can I ask what 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 facilitated this in you? Because maybe somebody's listening and and they're they're suffering almost alone because they were in a situation where you where you were at. Can I ask what um what brought you to that place? I guess like I wanted to I thought that I could probably make more of a difference to things if I was more honest about them and kind of 
put like a face to it because I think that can make people like relate to things a bit easier sometimes and I kind of thought if I like uh, identify myself I guess then um I can kind of make more of a difference and the reason I started like writing in the first place is just because I wanted to help other people and it just was kind of like a happy side effect that I ended up finding it like really beneficial for my own mental health as well and I've always written journals and stuff like privately since I was little um but doing it publicly was actually really helpful because it's it's quite cathartic just writing things down anyway but also getting that feedback of like oh actually this really resonated with me and like I found this really helpful and also just that like positive reinforcement I guess of like you know you're doing really well and I know this is really hard for you and people in my real life tell me that all the time so I don't like need that validation from people that I don't know but it's still nice to have that um so I would say yeah probably probably the fact that I started doing it for other people and then actually I I just found it really helpful sort of sharing stuff myself as well I wonder did you find it really freeing in a in a way when you kind of came out with it and you just you know you put your face to the to the anonymous blogs and you said this is me and this is what I deal with because you know when I when I came um kind of expressed some of the problems and issues that I dealt with on, previously on this podcast um through conversations it felt really freeing to me because it just I, the way I took it was well it's out there in the ether now so I'm just going to assume that kind of everyone who knows me from now on has listened to that podcast even if they have and i'm just going to assume that they have so now i can just talk about my issues very openly in the in the knowledge that they probably have already heard me talk about it on the podcast or in your case written about it on your blog um so you know now for example jim and i we've met you and we already knew that meeting it wasn't like we met you and then you had to come out and gradually tell us that you're suffering with this problem we this i mean that's how we found you at the end of the day was through your blog and has that has that been really freeing for you yeah and i think a lot of that is because like i'm in control of what information is out there and what isn't and a really big fear i had before is that people would somehow find things out about me and like i wouldn't know or they'd hear it from other people so i wouldn't know exactly what they did and didn't know and whether they knew things that were correct or not if that makes sense because it becomes like gossip Mm -hmm. doesn't it um yeah and that was like a really big fear of mine is I don't know what if someone I work with bumps into someone I went to school with and then they tell them and you know just like that's probably never going to happen but I just always had this fear of like this information is going to be out there and I I don't have any control over it and now Mm -hmm. like everything that people know about me is things that I feel comfortable people knowing about me because it's what I choose to put out into the world um so I think yeah definitely I would say yeah that's definitely true and, and how you know you were talking about like you were kind of worried about what people they found out through like gossip and stuff what they would think of you and I want to kind of get your what what do you think the negative connotations are of um of being anorexic or of people finding out that you're anorexic because you know we know that stereotypically speaking and this is not so that everyone thinks this way but the stereotype is that you know if you're obese or you're you're overweight the stereotype is that people will think you're lazy you haven't got any ambition blah 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 um which obviously we know is not the case is that dealing with a lot more than that but that can be the the negative stereotypes attributed to someone who's overweight so but off the top of my head i can't really think of anything that I would attribute to someone stereotypically speaking if I found out they were anorexic so what were those kind of reservations that you had I've had like a lot over the years but uh, you know things like vain attention seeking selfish right um yeah a lot of like spoil um I think it's seen as you know um quite a sort of middle class white teenage girls problem and that is in part true because I guess like the majority of people that have an eating disorder you know it it tends to start in white teenage girls um that's not true of everyone but that is sort of like where that stereotype comes from and like that was true for me as a sort of white middle class teenage girl I was quite a stereotype um as a teenager but yeah I think that's where it where it comes from and you know I've like I when I was at work once like years ago and someone said oh it's just um you know, it's just a, a disease for like teenage girls that can't decide whether they want to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, people, you know, if their dads cut their credit card off and stuff like that. And there is this stereotype of, you know, it's just sort of makes you very like vain and self-centered. And that's not the case at all, because most people with eating disorders have got, you know, really like cripplingly low self-esteem. And like a lot of, for me, 
like feeling like I needed to lose weight was just feeling like I don't deserve to take any space up. Um, so I need to be like the smallest version of myself possible. And a lot of that is about having, you know, really low self-worth. And it's, you know, it's not about any sort of like vanity and sort of diet gone wrong and wanting to look like celebrities or anything at all. But yeah, I think there are there are really negative stereotypes associated with it. I think they're just probably less spoken about than there are for like, yeah, like obesity and things like that. Okay, on, on your journey, can I ask, have you noticed other issues in terms of, I mean, let me rephrase this. Can I ask, have you noticed problematic approaches, how we approach anorexia and eating disorders? Have you seen, okay, this is just not working. I mean, I've talked, I've had this experience. I've had this, I've spoken with many people in a similar position. This approach isn't really working. Or have you had an idea where you're going, this really needs, like, do you feel like we're making progress both like personally on a community level and like national healthcare wise? Do you think we're making progress or where do we, where do we need to continue to improve? One of the biggest areas is having people having to meet like a certain BMI criteria to get treatment. And that's a problem like nationally. Um, And that's just because services have got so little funding, they can only afford to treat the people that are just sort of like the most physically and severely unwell. And that rules out almost everybody with an eating disorder. I think it's, I think it's like six to 8% of people with an eating disorder are underweight and the rest aren't. Um, It's a really tiny percentage. And that basically those sort of six to eight percent are the only people that are getting treatment because services have got so little resources that they can only really afford to treat those people. And also the problem services have sometimes because their waiting lists are so long and they're under so much pressure is they kind of help people to weight restore and then not really to do a lot of the psychological work that has to be done that's caused the problem in the first place. Um, Like my service are amazing and I've I've had treatment there three times now and they've kind of kept me there for like as long as they think that I've needed um but I know that's not the case uh in a lot of places they there is like a lot of places that kind of feed people up and discharge them and then they obviously end up coming back because they haven't done any of the psychological work that kind of causes the problem in the first place one of your blog posts highlighted the really high um relapse rate with anorexia can I ask do you think this is this is the chief reason as to why is that maybe we address the kind of physical symptoms but we're not addressing the deeper psychological core reason. Yeah, I think that's got a really significant, like that plays a really big part, I think. And also um, just like research into eating disorders is like not very well funded. Um, So the treatments that we've got at the moment are most of them are the same treatments that have existed for years and years and years and years. And there's just not really much research going into actually why are relapse rates so high and why do so few people make full recovery? Like what could we be doing differently? Um, And there's just not that much work being kind of done to find that out at the moment. So we're just relying on relatively out of date research to still kind of treat people. Um, So I think, yeah, it's twofold. A big part is not doing you know, not keeping people for long enough to do that work. And the other part is that the work people are doing is sometimes really out of date. Are you optimistic that for the next few years, we did you see like these seeds of possibilities of maybe increased funding or a change in collective perspective? <laughs> Societally, maybe, but in terms of like more funding for services and research, no, I don't think so. Like there's nothing to indicate at the moment that that's sort of a priority for the government at all to be doing that so uh in terms of like actually seeing any sort of change like on the front line I would say there's probably going to be very little but societally I hope that we're still doing quite a lot to like raise awareness about eating disorders and maybe change people's perspectives a little bit absolutely well I hope I hope this conversation can in some way help um what I was thinking is well for, for, for a listener or for someone who uh, lives with someone or is very close with someone who is suffering with uh, an eating disorder with anorexia what would you say to them because you know we mentioned some some difficulties maybe there might be a delay in, in public health services or whatever what what do you think these people can do that is kind of in their control well what would what would you say to them oh it's really difficult because people kind of need different things like some people it can be really helpful if people are doing like their food shopping with them and helping them meal plan and supporting them through meals and things like that but for me that 
made me quite, um, I guess, like angry. People trying to get involved because I just didn't want to make any, not that I didn't want to make any changes, but I just didn't feel able to at that time without the support of like specialists. Um, so for some people, it might be really helpful having that level of involvement. And for others, it might make things worse because that would make me kind of dig my heels in a little bit. Um, so it's really variable. But I would say like the biggest thing is just like people being aware that you're there to kind of support them because I think when people are really unwell you lose like so much of who you are and your personality and like kind of like everything about yourself really um and like you know I was like I was not very nice to be around at all when I was really unwell because I just wasn't like listening to what anyone was talking about so I was just like calorie counting and thinking about when I could go for a walk next and stuff like that like I wasn't interested in what anyone else was saying because it wasn't anything to do with what I was thinking about all the time you know um but people made it really clear that they kind of knew that I was still in there somewhere and that they were going to kind of wait patiently until that person kind of came back out again and I would say that's something that made a really significant difference to me is just knowing that no matter how long I've been doing this for and how many cycles kind of people have sat with me doing this that they're still kind of not giving up and they kind of trust that that I'll kind of come out the other side of it and be the same person that I was before. Mm, yeah, that that patience has to be key because I can imagine like it must be so draining for both you and your loved ones to like, especially when you're relapsing and, and just be like, oh, that had to have that high of like, oh yes, yeah, it's coming good, and then boom, straight back down again. Must be really draining just to have that patience. Surely has to be key. I I wanted to. We spoke at the very beginning um, about how. Uh, this is more a societal thing in the sense of you're not born anorexic, but it comes through, you know, your environment um, or any eating disorder. Um, and I, I wonder uh, if kind of the best thing we could do as a society or as individuals is to try to stop someone getting to that point through, you know, watching what we say to them and how we kind of react to them. Um, because, it strikes me that like, especially at school and secondary school and stuff, I mean, even parents maybe, but they, they can say things that to them is just kind of like a one-off comment or not really, they, they said it in the moment, like, oh, you're not, or you've put on a bit of weight or what? I always remember like every time I'd go see my nan, I mean, I guess it's a thing of like, you know, older people just saying exactly what they think and <laughs> yeah. losing that filter at the age of like 80 or whatever, thinking to hell with it. But she would literally, I mean, just flat out, I'd come and see you and she'd say, well, you've put on a bit of weight, like as in, boom, straight away. Like, not how, how you're doing, how's school, just flat out, boom, you've put on a bit of weight. And maybe to her, it wasn't, or it was just a very matter of fact, like kind of comment or whatever. But these little things, they stick in your mind. Um, and I was wondering, like, if there's, what would you say to someone, whether it's a boyfriend, a friend, uh, or whatever, who, like, little comments, like you said, they're kind of, oh, you look well, but maybe on the opposite side. Little comments that we say to each other in passing that we don't think of as, that damaging or, or anything like it but actually um can have a real lasting impact and kind of lead someone onto that path of a de- of an eating disorder I think a lot of it is not necessarily what you say to people but what you say like about people and I think mm. we are like certainly when I was a kid and I still think it's the case a lot now we don't really learn that like body diversity is acceptable um, you're right. supposed to look a certain way and that's that and actually like people just don't look the same like, I could eat and exercise and you know do whatever exactly the same as another person and I still won't look the same as them because people just naturally have you know a different shapes and sizes and that's just how it is but for me I know I didn't get I mean I got like the odd comment about my body when I was a kid I guess the same as like all kids do but for me it was a lot of hearing about how people spoke about other people in terms of like oh look how big they are and they shouldn't be eating that and Mm. you know god I'd hate to look like that and these sort of things that they still they still kind of teach you that actually it's not acceptable to eat the the bad foods that are off limits and if you eat the bad foods you'll become overweight and then people won't like you and they'll talk about you and um that definitely I think that filtered into me when I was quite young of actually you know look at oh look at how people talk about people that are overweight I'd hate it if someone talked about me like that and then that's kind of I would say yeah probably when I was like a young kid I was became really aware of those things yeah Uh, do you think that's improving because um 
if I remember correctly, like we we kind of all grew up in the age of like where Kira Knightley and and those types of people were like the the girls that were smashed onto our screens like this is the standard and obviously they were very kind of skinny kind of petite girls and nowadays it's almost like a flip where you've got these girls whether it's through plastic surgery or, or otherwise but are very very curvaceous and that's now the standard and again i suppose it always comes back to pendulums like we're going from it feels like we go from one extreme to the other but in in a in a way do you think it's improving that now we are somewhat especially with with women's bodies kind of seeing a more diverse kind of portfolio of women's bodies that are deemed sexy or attractive or whatever because you know the Kieran Knightleys of this world are still deemed as very attractive but then you do have kind of the other extreme which would be I don't know, a Kim Kardashian or a Nicki Minaj type, which is that now you see a lot of girls trying to trying to go towards that end of the scale. I don't know if you see it equally as harmful or maybe eventually the, the pendulum will kind of center and then we'll kind of eventually find out, you know, we'll just be more accepting of all types. I think it's probably still just as harmful because their bodies are still really unattainable for a lot of people. That's still quite like a narrow margin of, you know, what, what you should look like and actually like a lot of people are never going to look like that so there's it's just a different type of body that a lot of people aren't ever going to be able to achieve um I think a lot of it like in terms of social media depends on what you kind of expose yourself to so like I make sure particularly on places like Instagram that I've got like I follow like really diverse people who they will look really different and they will talk about different things and um there's a lot about like body positivity and like yeah like diversity and what people look like but I've had to intentionally go out of my way to do that it's not something that's come up automatically for me so I think you still have to um I don't think it it kind of presents itself to you by itself I think you have to kind of go looking for it still and I, I hope that that won't always be the case and that we will just societally see that there's a lot you know a lot more diversity and that that's acceptable but I think at the moment you still have to work quite hard to find it Mm. Do, and do you think does it make a big difference to you or, or to your your girlfriends that you um listen to that it, when you have uh, a famous person and be it an actress or just a media celebrity or, or a personality or, or whatever who kind of is all out there for body positivity um and is very honest and you know because i've seen a lot of pictures nowadays of you know, like where they've kind of posed. So they they pose in a certain position, which makes their body look amazing. And then they've just kind of gone back to like a normal kind of position, a normal pose where you can see a few rolls or you can see a bit of cellulite or whatever. And they kind of put the two pictures together to say like, look, this is, I look like this. Yes. But I also look like this. And on the exact same day in the same underwear and the same everything, I'm the same person. It's just lighting or this, that, and the other. And does that help? And then on the flip side, if that does help, you know, recently there was, I'm not sure if you saw it, but the Khloe Kardashian um, kind of controversy where someone posted a picture, like a real life picture of her that she didn't really want out there. And she looked just like a normal human being. She didn't look bad at all. But she got that post, like she got them to take it down. And I wonder if like when someone, I mean, especially from the Kardashian family, who you could say are like, that they are the standard, they've created this whole image of what a woman should look like these days to then have someone who they've posted a normal picture this chloe kardashian look like a completely normal girl nothing wrong and then for her to have that removed does that in a way kick into the thing of like oh well even that's not good enough do you know what i mean yeah i think like the the first question like those instagram posts are like a bit controversial because they do generally still show like you know, small white women who still can mm. make themselves look like a sort of socially acceptable body. However, I find them quite helpful because, like, that's kind of probably what I look like. Do you know what I mean? So, like, for me, it is helpful to be like, oh, like, they're maybe the same size as me, but they do still have cellulite or, like, when they, you know, they do have rolls and they sit down or whatever. Um but I appreciate that's because I can identify with that image and a lot of people can't. Um, but yeah, I personally find them quite helpful. But yeah, the Kardashian thing, like I feel a bit mixed about it because I do really feel for her because they're under so much scrutiny, um, that family. And 
yeah, it must be horrible to know that that's going to go out and people are going to be really mean about you, despite the fact that you're right, she looked absolutely fine. She just looked different mm. to how she normally looked because she looked like a, a real human um, and not, you know, airbrushed, etc. But I do think, like, the family as a whole have, like, really played a, a sort of really significant role in in kind of making people feel bad about themselves because they don't put themselves out there as to how they actually look like. Um, so I have a bit mixed feelings about that, really, because I think maybe she's sort of like the product of her own doing a little bit. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I can just imagine from a human level, you just you don't want that person to feel like they're going to be uh, criticised for an image of them just as they are. But then, yeah, on the flip side, as you say, they are perpetuating a certain image that is unattainable for for nearly everyone um even even them apparently and that that's definitely i think something that we need to to ponder um cara for people who are really interested in this conversation and feel like you're really helping helping them we're going to link everybody to your blog Uh, can you also tell us about you have a book that is coming out soon can you tell us about that yeah um forgetting about this until people bring it up it's really <laughs> exciting um so <laughs> i um i put together like uh it's kind of like a self-help book for people with eating disorders um just kind of based on things that i found really helpful since uh i've been in treatment you know even like from when i was a kid when i first started treatment um and it kind of came about because this time when i went into treatment again um I started using like bullet journals to kind of track like everything I was doing and partially that was just because it's quite like therapeutic and it kind of kept me busy but also it's because I felt like other times that I've been under the service I've kind of got better and then got rid of all the work I'd done and been like oh I won't need that again and then I obviously have needed it again um so it felt to me like a really good way to kind of pull together all like the learning I was doing and um I wrote like a summary of all my therapy sessions and my worksheets were in there and I kind of tracked how I was week on week um and did loads of sort of exercises in there and I used to post them on Instagram and people were like oh that's great that's what looks really helpful um so I kind of put this yeah this little book together um and then I just mentioned it on Twitter and was like oh would anyone be interested in this if it was like something that I was to pursue and then a publisher contacted me and said yeah that sounds really great can you send it over to us and then it just kind of went from there really so I submitted my um edited manuscript like three weeks ago and now I'm just kind of waiting to hear back from that fantastic stuff I'm I'm very happy for you and it's cool just to see like oh yeah I just put it out there and then the publisher came back that's amazing the one thing that just came to mind, yeah. uh, the, the one thing that came to mind um, and I wanted to ask was, you, you mentioned um, I'm writing this self-help book for people with an eating disorder and I understand that there are different uh, eating disorders. But I wonder how much you think they do interact and they are connected. So like how much can someone with one particular eating disorder really resonate with another one even though they are different? Because, so for instance, do you anticipate that people who do not have anorexia would still be very interested in in your book and can benefit from your book? I've really tried to make it as generic as I can um, because I think the people, the people that are least likely to get input from professionals are the people that don't have anorexia. So I think they would probably benefit the most from it. And there is a huge overlap. And actually, it's not uncommon at all for people to kind of flip between diagnoses as well. I haven't always had an anorexia diagnosis. I had a purging disorder diagnosis for a while and then it it flipped again. Um, And that's really common for people to go sort of between them, depending on just kind of what's going on in their life and stuff. So I've tried to make it as like generic as I can. And and there's really common themes that run between all eating disorders in terms of like um, sort of coping with emotions and body image and... um, you know sort of like social isolation and anxiety and things like that that kind of span across the spectrum of eating disorders so I've I've tried yeah to not make it too like anorexia specific beautiful beautiful well I'm look. I'm oh and when do you think it will be out do you have an idea of when it will be released it's between nine months and two years it's a really long oh process <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, part part of it's illustrated, so they need to find like an illustrator and do all of that as well. I'm not illustrating it myself, so um, I don't know how long the process of that kind of takes. So yeah, I just kind of just kind of playing it by ear, really, seeing how it goes. Class. Well, 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 whenever we'll be, it is, we'll yeah, we'll be champions. We'll put it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I will. even if it is two years down the line but one thing that's been really refreshing about this uh, interview is actually the positive relationship you've had with twitter feels like every time you hear, i hear about twitter it's just constantly getting bashed um so the fact that you said like to start with you just came on twitter and found like a community um and then now it's even led to like a book deal for you is kind of it's nice to hear feel good stories about social media you know and not always hear the, the negative stories that we get on the daily um where do you think just just the last question just because i'm you know with the book kind of well nine or two months nine months or two years down the line but coming out um where where do you see yourself like what, what kind of do you see yourself carrying on with your blog do, do you see yourself trying to become like a almost like a spokeswoman for anorexia or eating disorders in general trying to bring awareness because i think it's something i mean i think your blog is something really valuable that people uh, they haven't already um read um it's something really valuable because like you said it's not really in the consciousness. We, we talk about a lot of mental health that's c- coming massively, but eating disorders is kind of just dismissed. And it's like a thing of, Oh, just like you can kind of s- s- deal with it yourself. It's not really that important. And this, that, and the other. And I just, like, I feel like people like you are really important. So I wonder where you kind of see yourself. Where do you see your not career, but I don't know. I don't know how to kind of explain it, but do you see like, this is something that you're going to take on um, and it's going to be like a lifelong journey for you. I hope so, yeah, because, like, I know that, you know, I get so many things from people saying that it's really helpful for them, and also, in terms of just on, like, a wider scale now, because my, like, social media profile, I guess, is a lot bigger now than it was when I joined, I can, I think I have the capacity to, like, make more change than I used to be able to, Um, Yeah. and I can do things, you know, I've done quite a lot of, like, public speaking and stuff like that, and I think that I really enjoy that, and you can... um, kind of influence quite a lot of people at once when you're doing things like that so like, I really enjoy doing that when the opportunities kind of present themselves um in terms of my blog like I really enjoy doing it and it's hard it's it's really hard to maintain a blog I don't think people realize how much like time and effort goes into it um and I think as I'm like recovering it's probably gonna be updated less frequently I guess because I don't have so much to track on a day-to-day basis now because things are a lot more stable um, but I'm definitely going to keep, like, keep it up and keep updating it as and when things come up. But I do. It used to be sort of like once a week, and now it's probably like once a month. But I'm. I don't think I would take it down because, even for myself, it's just a really nice representation for me to look back on, kind of like how far I've come in the last couple of years. But I do quite a lot on Instagram now as well, like more than I used to of like micro blogging, I guess, where you, you know I'm just writing like little captions about things and like infographics and stuff like that about eating disorders so I do quite a lot more over there now than I used to beautiful I mean just keep going because that it's just I think as well like you were saying before how people with anorexia and, and eating disorders they might suffer with you know massive levels of insecurity and you said I mean you said something that really struck me which was I wanted to eat less just to take up less space in the room I mean if that it doesn't speak to kind of just chronic insecurity then I don't know what it is so to see this same person who wanted to eat less because she wanted to take up less space in a room to now doing public speaking like regardless of what you're saying in those public speeches like just the fact that you're doing a public speech which is hard for anyone to do it's not easy that's inspiring in itself do you know what I mean and I think people who are maybe suffering and are kind of at that point where you said where they are eating less to take up less space in the room to see that you can be a person who maybe has the confidence to do a public speech or just to be very honest on Twitter and Instagram about their journey and not kind of hide it. It's just that alone is inspirational and, and provides like a, a kind of a source of light for people. I, I can't imagine how much help that must be for people. So yeah, from us, just keep going and uh, keep, keep pounding that, that path because we're, we're following you all the way and it's been really, really great to talk to you um okay beautiful stuff well Carl, I, I tell you what if you want to i don't know if you, obviously we'll put all the links in in the in the show description but if you want to just tell people where they can find you be that your twitter your instagram your blog uh so anyone who's not really aware or familiar with your stuff where they can kind of follow you and, and keep track of your journey 
Yeah, so I'm my username on Twitter and Instagram is Cara Lizette, which is just my name. <laughs> um, and then my blog is Cara's Corner, and I think it just comes up if you Google, comes on the top of the list. There you go. Look at that. She's so, so good that she comes up straight. <laughs> no search, search engine optimizations there, baby. Number one. <laughs> so there's no going to the second page of Google for this blog. We'll get there one day, Jim. Me and you will get there one day. Yeah, we will. Uh, <laughs> uh, fine. I just wanted to ask finally, Carol, like any last words, like anyone who's listening, who, who, is there any like pit, like nuggets of information that you think that we, me or Seb never kind of triggered or like got out? of you is there anything you'd like to say just for anyone listening at the end i guess like i just really want to emphasize i suppose the, the importance of like not being secretive about it because eating disorders like really really thrive in secrecy and i think that's why we've seen such a big increase during lockdown because people are so isolated um over the last year that like i know that my recovery would have been a lot more difficult if i wasn't so open with mm. like my treatment team and with my friends and with my family and stuff so I would say yeah just make sure that you're kind of not letting it win by keeping those secrets because the more you talk about it the more people can help beautiful work beautiful. thanks so much Kara we, we really are inspired by your work and it's been great to have you on thank you hi guys thank you for listening to the podcast please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week, but until then, keep safe and have a good one.